It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there, but how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets around the country for as little as 10% down with cash on cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Bradley Kirschbaum. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Bradley, his experience as a naval officer established the bedrock of his capabilities as co-principal of Symphony Capital Group. He's a formal naval aviator with a well-demonstrated history of planning and executing in demanding management positions. Bradley is well-versed in creating real-time solutions with complex environments and embraces the challenge of finding and managing assets that will perform well for Symphony's investors. Bradley, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Danny Nichols, how you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great, dude. Uh, You know, I'm excited to speak to you, man. You know, I've heard your story before, but I'm excited to share with our listener group, man. Super pumped about that. Let's just let's just kick it off there. Let's hear more about you. Tell us more about your background, your story, and the path you took to get to where you are today in your real estate investing career. Yeah, let's go. Well, look, uh, you know, I graduated in 2012, joined the Navy as a helicopter pilot, and flying is cool, but. Uh, working for other people is not for me. I wanted to own my own life as much as possible. Three years ago, three and a half years ago, started looking for partners, knew I was going to get into real estate. I dabbled in single family a little bit, knew I had that entrepreneurial uh, mindset, realized that uh, I had been investing with syndicators that I probably knew more about the market, more about what was going on than they did when they pitched me. And I thought I could do that. And so uh, myself and my partners at Symphony started just connecting in a casual way, kind of a a real estate support group of types, if you will. And after a few months, we knew, hey, syndication work for all of us. We've got all these unique uh, lanes that we're good at. We we make a pretty formidable team. So we kicked it off and we've been rolling ever since. We're at uh, seven properties now. Um, We've been buying around the Southwest um, looking all over from Tucson, Albuquerque, up to Kansas City, and then back down to Dallas, Houston, and uh, and Austin, and um, just staying as busy as we can. We're under contract right now, working our way through escrow over in DFW, uh, over with uh, 200 units in Allen, Texas, and we're trying to get that done this July. So that's kind of what we've got going on right now, and uh, where, where I started, I suppose. That's awesome, man. Love to hear that. You know, I was on your guys' website earlier this weekend, you know, checking out your portfolio. You guys are definitely crushing it. Um, you guys have really built a, a nice, solid portfolio there. Love to see that. Um, I do have a question for you. So you mentioned kind of, you know, um, seeing some, you know, some GPs and you're saying, oh, I could do that. You know, uh, you thought maybe, you know, jump into that arena. Were you doing LP investing uh, before that? Were you on the LP side investing in syndications? Yeah, we were. So my wife and I have been together for about seven years or so. Don't <laughs> 
Well, we've been about seven years now and uh, married five years ago. And that whole time we were looking at real estate in all different ways. And um, all the benefits just clicked, right? I wanted to get paid today. I didn't want to you know, keep building up my snowball of equities and touch it 35 years from now. I wanted to uh, you know, make money investing in something that everybody needed. I wanted to make money investing in something that had huge tax advantages and got rid of that tax headwind. And I wanted it to be something that wasn't uh, crazy speculative, but still had really strong returns, right? I wanted to be beating the market. And the more and more I talked to mentors, the more and more she and I talked with uh, people around us, real estate made sense. And going going larger, going into commercial made even more sense. Whether you're going to run it as a business model like we are now, or whether whether you're going to act, excuse me, invest passively, uh, it makes sense for both sides of the equation. And so, yeah, a few years ago, we started pushing into that. And by 2018, we had looked at a few deals, bought into a few deals, and knew that uh, we were going to continue to do that and look pursue it as a business model. Yeah, absolutely. And you're spot on, man. There's a lot of great reasons to invest this way. You know, everybody has their own strategy or their profile where they sit as an investor, right? But the 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 benefits of being able to passively invest in these large commercial deals it's it's just the it's just outsized right it's just it's just one of those things that I latched onto as soon as I found out about it I was kind of kicking myself that I didn't find out about it earlier right it's just one of those things so absolutely love that there's one thing every time I run across uh, someone who's invested as an LP in a syndication and then moved into the GP side similar to what you've done right I always ask you know what did, what they took away from that from their experience as an LP so was there anything that you learned from being on the LP side that either you know reinforced your thesis for past investing obviously you kind of touched on that before or maybe helped with your transition to the gp side i think it's made it easier to understand what really matters to the investor who's hearing your pitch right there's always that quintessential give me your 30 second pitch or your five minute pitch whatever the deal is right you lose you lose someone's attention very quickly and it has made me more understanding of the fact that I need to either find or get the investor to tell me what matters that to them the most. Because I can give you great stats. I can talk about all the things I find attractive in an investment or in a specific property. But at the end of the day, if that's not what you care about, I just wasted 15 minutes explaining something that you don't give a hoot about and you still don't know if you're interested in the property. And the more I talk to investors uh, as a GP and the more I think about how I acted and what I looked for as an LP, just the more you realize that everyone has a distinctly different expectation. And even when I'm talking to someone, whether it's a, a physician, anyone, anyone who's trying to invest, it could be the exact same avatar. They will all want something different. Um, no two investors are the same and no two backgrounds is indicative of what that investor wants or needs. It is extremely unique and uh, it behooves you to really understand who you're talking to before you and what they're looking for before you start pitching either yourself or the deal or, or the environment that you're buying in. It's absolutely necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that. You know, I, I was speaking with a, with a guy uh, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he, he's completely passive. You know, it's one of those things he invests his money. He knows that he's going to invest with this group and he doesn't, he basically doesn't even read the communications. Right. So there's, there's levels. Right. But the one thing that I've learned uh, just to your point really is like, being an LP in these deals is really a gold mine if you get to dive into this stuff and you're paying attention, right? Especially if you're considering oh, yeah. moving to the GP side, right? If you if you're willing to do some homework, you understand what's going going on here. You can have an inbox, and I've said this again and again. I've got scores of deals coming down coming into my inbox every single week. They're all pretty solid. 
10 of those sponsors, I've spent a lot of time vetting. I've been on their webinars. I understand what they're looking for. I know what their past is. Another 10 or 15 of those sponsors are fairly new to me and I haven't done a deep dive by any means, but they seem to be uh, reputable, right? And it's like it's like just picking out what you want to buy tomorrow, right? You You put minimal effort in. You can figure out what's going on, what you're hearing on your podcast, seeing in the Wall Street Journal, what areas are blowing up or, or doing really well and have serious population growth and job growth. And you let someone else do all the legwork and get you into that market. All you have to do is write the check. And like you said, plenty of people don't read the, the monthly update or the quarterly financials, right? Which is not necessarily something I want to suggest to people but it can be pretty darn passive. If you're willing to do a little bit more than getting into your trading account and clicking buy real quick, <laughs> it's just a couple more steps than that. But realistically, for how much value you're getting out of these projects, the extra effort is negligible. And at the end of the day, do I want to continue to invest with these giant banks and, and industries that have no face and I really have no idea who I'm dealing with? I'm just another guy who has to sell on the public market and who knows what's going on there. Now, I, I kind of like knowing my teammates and I like knowing who's paying me. I know I'm getting paid by a you know, $110,000 per year income household, right? I, I know that's what I'm buying into. I know I'm buying into a group of professionals and, and nurses and CPAs or students, whatever type of housing you're buying into, whatever location it is, you know what is supporting your income. You know what is supporting your nest egg more so than whatever the next SaaS is, whatever the next piece of software is or the plastic product, whatever. What, like who cares? Who knows where those industries will go? I mean, I completely, I've spent a lot of time investing in equities, studying equities, dealing with stocks, dealing with options. I, I meet plenty of people who are like, yeah, you know, real estate's kind of your, sit, your thing. I'll ask someone else about the market. No, I, I know plenty about the stock market, which is why I don't invest there anymore. I mean, I like to take a gamble. I like to take the risk. I like to get that large return when it's possible. But when you're talking about just ensuring you can pay the bills, achieve the financial goals you have across the course of your life, and ensure that you have serious stability outside of whatever your W-2 or main, main income is, real estate is the answer. And you want to do it within commercial real estate specifically. And until I've achieved those goals, and I know I've hit a certain threshold, I'm not even going to deal with anything else. I'm going to sleep well at night, truly. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. You touched on a lot of great stuff there. You know, we could probably make a whole another episode just based off of some of the things we hit on there. But uh, yeah, I absolutely love that. Couldn't agree more. I'm a huge proponent of passive investing in commercial real estate. You know, there's just so many advantages of it. And one of the things that, you know, kind of said is you can really evaluate the people who you're investing with, who you're getting your returns from. It's not just one of those things you're blindly putting money into. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, I don't really know these people. Well, you have the chance. If you wanted to, you could run a background check on these guys. You know, you can, I mean, you can really do a lot of due diligence diligence on these guys, depending on your level of want and desire, right? You can really dive deep. So I appreciate you uh, going to that level of detail. One thing I kind of want to shift, you know, we were talking about taking from LP to GP, some of the, some of the knowledge and, you know, whatever, getting on the GP side. Well, something else you've been able to do, uh, you know, you got a very interesting story uh, being a Naval officer. Um, well, some of that has really established uh, the foundation, uh, you know, some capabilities that's allowed you to transition into your role at Symphony Capital Group. You know, what were some of the roles and responsibilities you had as a Naval officer? And from that, what, which learned capabilities were you able to implement in your position at, at the real estate investing firm? Yeah, so I was a helicopter pilot by trade. That's what I was doing. And of course, for those who are already familiar with the military, you'll know that a typical career, whether you're in for 10, 20, 30 years, 
you end up doing a lot of things that aren't your bread and butter. It's auxiliary or it's um, a collateral duty, right? So I was a helicopter pilot and actually flying for years. And then I did a staff job at the third fleet. And then uh, I just wrapped up my my time in the Navy as a shooter on the Carl Vinson where we were, mm. we were launching jets and I had 115 guys in my division. But out of all those things, I was doing a lot of stuff that was parallel to the financial services, the real estate services we provide today because I was taking care of possessions and assets that were someone else's. And in, in you know, the military case, it was the taxpayers. It's not ours. I didn't bring that uh, to the team. I didn't purchase it. Someone else did. The government provided it. And we had to maintain it, make it work, make you know, track it, ensure the system stayed in place, and ensure that that equipment lasts for decades, quite literally. And the other flip side or parallel, excuse me, to real estate is that we we're dealing with human beings in a management situation. There's something that needs to be done. It can be done by the book until the, the environment or the situation changes and then decisions need to be made. And what's that akin to? It's the same as coming up with a business plan, finding a property that you're going to manage and executing. And you know what the plan is, but look, we bought a property in Austin. There was a gas leak in the first month. That's that's a shift, right? And now you've got to deal, you got to go back to dealing with the people. So now you throw away the book and the leaders have to start making decisions. What's it going to cost? What are the ramifications? What are the legal problems? How do we deal with the city? How do we get the gas back on? How do, how do we take care of the tenants? And it went relatively smoothly. I can break down that story in about 60 minutes, uh, but we're back up and running. No real issues. Didn't lose tenants to the cause. It cost us a couple extra dollars, but we had cushion on the underwriting. And that's a play between understanding the systems and how to execute and then dealing with all the third parties or the people. Like I was dealing with my sailors, dealing with uh, all the people that actually turned the wrenches in the Navy, in the Navy and got, got all the maintenance and, and equipment right, right? In this case, we're dealing with the city, dealing with the uh, contractors that brought our gas lines back up, actually did our pressure test, pressure test, excuse me, and just ensured in general that we had a property that could actually host all of our tenants and keep them warm in the middle of, uh, what was that, January, <laughs> right? Wow. Like, that's no joke. So there's a lot of parallels there, but it really all comes down to understanding how things should be executed and then dealing with people who have the knowledge and fortitude to shift when it's necessary and keep paying attention to things in the first place, right? Plenty of people are buying properties and um, they think they run themselves. Well, they don't. Even <laughs> property management doesn't make all the decisions and do all the things that that the sponsorship team and the syndicators need to be paying attention to. So, um, yeah, we're getting better and better at that. We're not exactly, um, you know, we're still wet behind the ears. I would say we are for a team. As an LP, I would say we're pretty new, right? We're on deal number seven. Uh, but we've been learning a lot and dealing with a lot of things. And we've got some good heads on our shoulders. So as we continue on and, and mature, we're learning a lot of lessons that aren't just parallels to what we have been doing, but direct direct lessons from what we're doing today. So uh, I enjoy getting more and more experience in that context. Well, you know, and that's where you get all the good stuff, right? It's from the experience. You can't be sitting on the sidelines and expect to get the good stuff, right? It's just uh, just yeah. the nature of the beast. And I love to hear that, man. And you're absolutely right. You were talking about the property manager. You know, they need somebody to manage the property manager. You know, being, uh, um, you know, in asset management, mm -hmm. there's so much that's within that responsibility and that role. And, you know, being able to transition from something else, bring some of those skills to basically take that on is massive, right? Absolutely massive. And just and another thing, uh, you made a great point, man. I was talking to somebody actually today uh, they mentioned, you know, we were talking about a deal and they're saying, you know, you can do all the projections you want. Uh, the real truth is 
nothing's perfect. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. Nothing's ever going to go, you know, completely 100% smooth. There's always going to be maybe a, maybe a small hiccup, maybe a massive hiccup, who knows? So being able to have that shift and realign and move forward, I think it's massive. And I would love that you brought that up, man, because it's, it's so important. Let me hit on that point real quick too. Sure. The way you articulated it is absolutely true. On a slightly different angle, consider this as buyers right now, things are hot, things are shifting. I got a feeling we're going to get to that in a little bit here because this deal we have in DFW has been an interesting case study in terms of debt, who's interested, whether that's equity or debt or maybe prep and what the environment, how the environment is affecting our deal right now. It's It's been interesting. But point being, to your point earlier, until you actually own the asset, you can't do anything with it. Mm. Everything's on paper. Everything's theoretical. And the only thing you are doing is losing value on your dollar, right? I mean, I buy into a property, not even thinking about, personally, I don't think about what it costs us today. That's obviously a huge, vague, inaccurate statement. But whatever the purchase price is, doesn't matter to me nearly as much as whether or not that property is going to be desired by tenants at a larger and larger threshold in the future. I want more and more people coming to town, looking at my property, thinking it's the one for them. And I just want that desire level to just keep going through the roof. I want to be buying Tesla. I want the Tesla version. I want the Amazon version of properties, right? And that's how these things get thrown out of proportion because everyone starts jumping into it. If you've got a bunch of tenants who are trying to jump into your property, the rent's going up and up and up and up. And what it said it was going to do on paper is one thing, but what the environment provides for the property is a whole nother thing. Let's say, let's say coming into the modern day, we've got you know rates going up, expenses going up, logistics are a major threat to everybody's projects, whether it's a single family or a 300 unit complex. And let's say we hit a bit of a pause, right? Lenders are pulling back. So it's going to force that to some degree. And the lenders who aren't pulling back are increasing the expenses on your underwriting without a doubt. And they're issuing less debt on loan to value or loan to cost. So we're going to you know, hit a bit of a stagnation for a few months, supposedly. Maybe longer than that. <laughs> but <laughs> if that does happen, I want to sit in a property that I want, like, am willing to hold for years and years. And it is going to internally mature. It's going to get better. The residents in the neighborhood and in the city are going to know it's the nice property that people desire. And when the market changes and people want to buy it and other people want to jump into it as, as buyers then then we'll consider selling it. But overall, all these syndications are pretty much written to three or five-year game plans, and I get it. But what you're buying is the opportunity to have a desirable asset, and that's what I want. Numbers aside, I want something that maintains desirability to the people that affect the price, which at the end of the day is the tenant population. Uh, so numbers and, numbers and um, specifics aside, to me, the, the biggest factor is whether or not that property is going to look attractive 10 years from now, even if I only want it for three. Yeah. And that makes complete sense, right? It's all supply and demand. If you've got people wanting to move into your property, it's highly desirable. Uh, you know, it's going to be where you want to be, right? I, I do have a question in terms of mm -hmm. kind of, you know, we talked about that, you know, without diving into specifics, but I kind of want to dive into it a little bit. You know, you mentioned you guys are in DFW, uh, super hot market, right? It's been very hot for for quite a while. And obviously you mentioned, you know, obviously the, the current investing or, you know, economy and financial markets, you know, high inflation, rising interest rates. It's definitely a, a, a different scenario than we've seen over the past, you know, say decade or whatever, or even more than that, really. But, uh, you know, 
you know, you're talking about holding these deals. You want to be able to find the property that you'd be happy with 10 years down the road. So has your underwriting or your investment terms of your deals, is that shifting at all? Or are you guys just kind of going business as normal? You're just looking at the proper property in general as, Hey, we want this beautiful, beautiful property because that's, what's going to be in high demand. So I would say, I mean, there's a lot to that with what sure. has changed or how underwriting has shifted. I would say we're continuously looking for a property that is the rents are under market. The comp rents are higher than what we're projecting right now, currently today, what they're getting. And we don't need to go any higher than that. We really don't need things to change in the future. We're writing with a higher exit cap than what we're buying at. How high people think you need to push that right now is flush. You know, people have different ideas and concepts on that. Uh, but I think you should look at a higher exit, at least just 50 bits, just a little bit. Um, to ensure that if things stay flat or tick up, you can absorb that. But, you know, realistically, like the play we have right now, it's 75% renovated, the other 50 units, 52 units need renovation. So it's less logistics, less, you know, washers and dryers, less LVT flooring that needs to be purchased. We're minimizing that threat, but it allows us to capture a bone to cost so we can get better leverage. And our loss to lease is huge. I mean, it's it's 25, 30% on most of the units. And the units that are unrenovated are capturing higher rent rates today than the renovated units that were leased out last year. So we, mm. you know, forget about theoretics and um, theoreticals and averages and kind of figuring out what the market can hold. When you look at the four properties next to us that are direct comps, we know the owners of the property management teams. We know exactly how many, you know, people they're taking on and at what prices. We're not gonna. We're not gonna pass it up. You can tell me DFW is hot. You can tell me it's a tough market all day long. It what we're buying into makes sense to us, so we're gonna continue to execute that. Huge, huge um, pivot here. Looking at debt a year ago, right? If you're looking at bridge and you're getting, you know, three years interest only with, uh, you know, two two years of extension on it, you could have gotten ninety percent on that and it would have been, I don't know, four, four and a half percent right today. Sure. We talked to over 80 lenders on this, bridge lenders specifically. We have two term sheets. That's insane. Oh. Uh, that's how many people are just hitting pause. That's how many people wow. are not, they just want to wait for four weeks. They want to wait and see every single lender, right? And the lenders that are sending out term sheets, they're asking for as much as they can take. It's it's going to have a ripple effect throughout the market without a doubt for, for the rest of this year. It, that factor cannot um, be understated. And it might not mean we have a downturn, but it's going to break a lot of deals and it's going to you know, bring people pause because you might do, you know, you might know you can raise $5 million or $20 million and you've got that down pat. If your business plan requires leverage, right now is, is a difficult time. So that's kind of where we sit at DFW. I mean, that's that's real time this week. You know, it's uh, it's the end of May here while we're recording this, and uh, you know, tune back in next week to see to see <laughs> where we stand and whether or not we're still still pursuing pursuing what we consider to be you know the gem in the crown of uh, DFW. So we'll see where that goes. But yeah, if you can't make it happen, you can't can't make it happen. And I had something similar. It's like. Uh, it's like the past is coming back to haunt me, but um, one of the only single family products I've ever touched in my life, I had debt become an issue thanks to COVID and thanks to lenders just shoring up their lending for about two or three months, real seriously, right? And then they obviously had the um, COVID lending holdbacks and all of a sudden the expense was much higher and you had to have a lot more cash on hand. It's, it's 
2.0 of that right now in, in my world, at least that's what I'm seeing. So, um, the R word retrade has been thrown <laughs> around, um, a few different times we're hearing of different people do it. And depending on your timing right now, when you locked in your debt and, and what that loan to cost or loan to value was, um, people may or may not be considering that. I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer. Yep. I know there's definitely a, a lot in flux right now, like you said, especially with the debt piece and lending. Um, I know there's a, a lot of different opinions out there right now. I see it all over LinkedIn and, you know, in my mastermind groups and stuff like that, definitely a lot of opinions out there. Um, and so, you know, again, nobody has a crystal ball. So, and we kind of talk about, there is some sort of shift occurring right now, especially on the debt piece. And, you know, maybe there's some deals that maybe falling through the cracks uh, because of this, but, you know, the last, you know, however long decade or so, maybe more multifamily has been on a, an absolute tear, right? Uh, uh, just hot, hot, hot. You know, you're an LP. I'm, uh, I'm on the LP side as well. And it's been, you know, pretty fantastic ride. Um, you know, obviously things are shifting right now. Do you think that maybe um, there's still opportunity out there? Uh, obviously people are still looking, but um, do you think maybe this ride is going to continue or maybe you think this yeah. is a, a long uh, trend, uh, changing trend going forward? But it, this goes back to my prior comments, right? Sure. Like you want an asset that is always attractive. And while there are factors in the market that are creating the current situation, and heck, maybe we'll create even a, a enough pressure where cap rates start going up by 50 or 100, just remember that in the 80s, over 25 million houses were built in the United States. Same thing in the 90s, same thing in the 2000s. But since 2010, just over 5 million houses have been created, one-fifth of the amount of product. You know how much the population has slowed down? And not at all, right? <laughs> and when you look at particular markets like DFW where we're buying, that the proper Dallas municipality went from 1.2 to 1.3 million people. It added over 100,000. And I'm pretty sure it hasn't slowed down since. If it has, it's a very negligible amount. So you put 100,000 people into a, a proper city like that in the matter of 12 months between July of 2020 and July of 2021 in the middle of COVID, and then tell them to find housing, tell them to find somewhere to live when effectively nothing's been built in the last decade. Uh, it's a difficult situation. You've got people renting out the 30 nights of the Holiday Inn just to tie themselves over until they do find a roommate. Uh, that's the kind of market that we're buying. I mean, I was just in Toronto to put another parallel in there. I was in Toronto where people are used to buying two caps. They're used wow. to appraisers having to look at how things sold in the last 14 days and just doing the appraisal off of that. Um, I mean, it's pure insanity up there. I'm talking about Toronto and getting out into Halifax, going mm -hmm. into Nova Scotia, where you've got fairly minimal populations, a couple of hundred thousand person towns. But realistically, there's just so many people walking into that area of the country. So many people migrating there and so many immigrants internationally coming there. And by the way, picking up debt at 1.5 to 2% on their primary home mortgage, that they're just buying anything and everything, right? And going back to the United States, we're buying at and below build cost. So if I can buy cheaper than a builder and renovate it, the builder can't outcompete us, right? Yep. And in fact, staying real specific on our deal in, in Allen, it's technically in Allen, Texas, you cannot build, <laughs> you basically cannot build the garden style property that we have there. Zoning is just out of room. It, we believe, and it looks like, you know, I'm not I'm not an engineer, but it looks like maybe one or two other properties could be built within that municipality 
within the garden, uh, the zoning that allows garden style. So there's no competition when it comes to that, right? The solution has to come from elsewhere. And what that solution is, I don't even know, but I have a, I have a prediction that, um, we, and we are seeing it, development is picking up, more people are doing it. It makes more sense right now, aside from the huge logistics threat that's going on from, from another angle, it makes more sense. But at the end of the day, I think in five, 10 years, depending on politics, we're going to unravel or excuse me, release um, some massive federal spending to create more housing in this country. I think it's going to become necessary. We're already seeing the bankers adjust and creating 40-year home loans because if you're going to lower that month-to-month expense to make it more affordable, you might as well stretch out the payments, right? And um, we're seeing that at more and more banks. Um, but realistically, the supply needs to increase. The supply needs to increase and it needs to start being built tomorrow. So yeah. You're absolutely right, man. That's definitely something that can't be ignored going forward. And I mean, if you're if you're a real estate investor, or you're in the real estate industry, it's something that's got to be apparent, right? And that's why, you know, as real estate investors, this is something you got to look at. This is why, you know, say if you're in DFW, you're in Phoenix, you're somewhere in Florida, right? These these places that are just blowing up, you know, there's not enough supply. And, you know, there's too much demand, you're not being able to keep up. So as real estate investors, it makes sense to be in these areas as long as you can take down a property and the underwriting makes sense. Right. So love that you brought that up, man. I got to be honest with you. I probably got like 10 more questions to ask you, but we're running out, we're running out of time, man. So before we get out of here, tell us more about a uh, symphony capital group and, you know, really anything else you have going on. Well, I'm Bradley Kirschbaum. You can reach me Bradley at symphonycapitalgroup.com. And of course, symphonycapitalgroup.com is our website. You can see us there. If you search my name uh, or, or Symphony Capital Group, we're all over social media doing different things, all the major platforms. But you can expect to see us buying uh, more material in the DFW area and uh, hopefully closing up this deal come July. So that's what we've got going on right now. And uh, if you think there's some synergy or you want to talk about our, our uh, game plans, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Bradley, we're going to make sure to put that stuff in the show notes. Man, it's been a great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Daniel. Really, really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.